Good morning, Alex Simmons. And Christopher Roberts. No, that's that's the kid in the book. <laughs> Mr. Ryan, Mr. Ryan. Yes, yes. Chris, Chris Ryan. How you doing? Pretty good. You, good to see. You? Yeah, same, same. Oh, actually, we can't see each other because we're doing this uh, tell the damn story unplugged uh, recording uh, strictly as an audio piece. So we're actually just envisioning one another in our heads as we yes, speak. And, and you are glorious. Thank you, because I, I only look glorious in, in his mind. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, man. So it's Sunday. It's a Sunday morning. And we, you know, normally we tend to, I mean, not that we have a, a quote unquote set routine, but usually we tend to be doing these things in the late afternoon or evenings, you know, night somehow. But here we are on a glorious Sunday morning. I think it's glorious. I haven't been outside yet. Cold. And- Very cold. It's very cold. Oh, like 20, well, 29 degrees is very cold for me. 29 is cold, especially with the wind chill factor. But we're not here to do the weather, are we? <laughs> Five days. Yes. So Chris and I um, spent a little bit of time yesterday uh-huh. kicking around some ideas for today's uh, session. And because, you know, we're, we're writers and, and creators and we also teach, but because, you know, creating, writing, developing characters uh, has been something we've been doing 99% of our lives. There have been a number of different experiences we've had. And every now and then we have to, and Chris, you know, know, please correct me if if I'm assuming here, but every now and then we have to acknowledge that even though we're brilliant, creative, and, uh, you know, and and, uh, innovative, that certain things throughout the years have influenced us. Uh, and, and, and our work in some way, shape, or form. So I, I threw out a question, you know, basically to the, to the Ozone there. What characters from our past, our childhood, or, or whatever, uh, influenced the creation of one of our heroes, you know, our hero characters uh, that we developed, or a character in one of the stories that we developed? Who did we see or read about or know in some way, shape, or form that affected and influenced our creative uh, efforts. And so Chris and I decided that would be one of the things we would talk about today. And because, again, all, all creators go through this. So Chris, I've, I've had my, my, my 15 seconds of fame. Go for it. Well, um, I have a lot of titles that I've written, but I'd like to talk at least at first about the, uh, the latest one, A Simple Rebellion. Um, I've had that. I had that idea for the longest time. The idea of what if the backbiting and the divisiveness in America continues? How bad can it get before America won't put up with it anymore? And as things have gotten more ridiculous over the last uh, year, two years, three years, ten mm. years. Um, this this story kept coming up. You know, I'd be writing a blackjack story, and this would be in the back of my mind. Or I'd be writing one of the city of uh, cop dramas or cop uh, thrillers, and this would still be there. Uh, the reason why I didn't write it was because I I needed somebody that America would follow. You know, so you you mean fictionally? Yeah, fictionally, right, right. fictionally, okay. yes. Because you know, the fiction novel and all that stuff. But I needed, you know, uh, who could that be, and how could it be, you know? And and I grew up a huge fan of Captain America and Falcon, that comic book. So, 
sure you think about Captain America and you think about the nobility of the Falcon. And I understand how both of those characters are leaders. But for this particular work, it, 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 it didn't click for those, you know, to base it on those mm-hmm. characters. Because both of them are heroes. Both of them, you expect them to come save the day, right? So I had a look at a different place. And I was sh- shocked myself. And this is one of the gifts of the creative process. Is sometimes, you know, when the answer presents itself, you're as surprised as anybody else. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. So, um, the the character, the, the real life character, the real life person that um, when it finally clicked for me, I realized here is somebody who, in the right uh, circumstances, could accidentally make an, a national national movement begin to happen. It was Bill Murray. Oh, my goodness. Bill Murray, yeah. Um, We're talking Saturday Black, Night Live, Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Ghost, Ghostbusters, oh all those things. Bill Murray, um, uh, you know, St. Vincent. All the, I mean, in every iteration, there's a, there's a sense of beloved. And I, I have been lucky enough to meet Murray twice by accident, you know, on the street or um, my sister used to get tickets to Knicks games and we were way up close to the court and he was sitting right next to her and he was just hilarious with everybody. Just everybody loves Bill Murray. And I realized that that, that love is what would spur people to this action that happens in here. Um, So Bill Murray became Bob Murphy. And then I realized that the character was moving away from, you know, 100% Bill Murray knockoff and becoming his own character. So I had to give him his own career. And I, he did get on Saturday Night Live. But then when he went into movies, he was, um, oh, man, I'm going to forget the character's name. He did a bunch of movies with a, a Richard Pryor character. Who was the blonde-haired comedian? Uh, Bill Murray did a bunch of movies? No, no, another actor did. Oh, 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 oh Gene Wilder. And Gene yes. Wilder. So now, now we start splicing in parts of Gene Wilder into uh, Bill, uh, Bill Murray to, to help formulate who Bob Murphy mm-hmm. is. And then when uh, this Roman, so so where did we get cut off? <laughs> right at, and then when this romance. Oh, oh, when uh, well, so Bob Murphy is a widow, widower, and the, that backstory really turned that character uh, into his own existence you know mm. he was no longer i no longer saw bill murray i no longer saw um bill, gene wilder i saw bob murphy and um he did make a bunch of movies with an african-american actor and i created that because i wanted you know 
someone who would speak to other elements of America. Richard Pryor is definitely an influence there. Mm. Um, a matter of fact, at one point in the book, Lionel uh, uh, does a um, performance. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not going to tell you why, but and no, no, includes, no. Well, you know, read no. He includes some of uh, his best bits, including "Trouser Snakes Return to Belfast." Little <laughs> bit of little bit of better, better, and and two. Uh, performances as his legendary stand-up character, Two-Hand Jimmy. Um, Richard Pryor had his own like hobo character that he did. And Two-Hand Jimmy performs There Came a Stankfoot and Spellcasting Hose of Alabama. So, so clearly Richard Pryor influenced. However, when I cast him in my head, and I think this is due to federal law, there's a federal law when casting that Samuel Jackson has to get a part. That's, <laughs> that's who I started thinking about. So influence is Richard Pryor, the performance is Samuel Jackson. And between the two of those, both faces started uh, uh, fading away and we, I got to an original Lionel Jackson. And I think there's a good example of how sometimes we uh, allow the stuff we feed ourselves, the creative stuff we feed ourselves to um, fuel the writing. So, the, you know, there's uh, there's an example. I can give more if you want, but that that works pretty well. Um, it well, doesn't always happen with me, but in, in this case, it did. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think, again, you know, whether it's real people or things we've read or films we've seen or TV shows we've watched, uh, we're sponges in a lot of ways. I think artists whether they're dancers, painters, um, you know, musicians or writers or you know, illustrators, uh, I think that that's a part of what we do is we absorb life, you know, in whatever form. And, and sometimes we reflect it and sometimes it sparks a totally different creation, a representation right. or whatever. Um, well, what's the, um, what's the old saying? Every artist is a thief, Yeah, yeah. Right? something to that effect, yeah. Or, or, or we borrow liberally, yes, yeah. That's yeah. right. What I want to know is your influences uh, for Blackjack. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because um, mine's uh, I would say is amalgam of certain things. I mean, first off, uh, growing up, you know, and I grew up. I was born in the fifties, late. No, I was born in the early fifties. What am I saying? Uh, but I grew up during the late fifties, early sixties, in terms of you know those formative years from age one to, to, to 17. And, and so my influence is I was a media kid. I watched television a lot and I went to the movies whenever I, I could afford to. Um, my influence is my, my heroes and, and the interesting fictional characters across my, my, my path were all, were 99% Caucasian or white. And, and so, you know, there was, at the time in my early youth, there was no conscious, oh my God, you know, black folks aren't being represented and we got to stop this. Because the norm was you saw us as certain characters in certain roles, but you were watching these hero figures and blah, 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 blah. So subliminally, the message that was coming out was people of color 
are only this. And the rest of the world right. and the action, the adventure world is only these people. So my influences in my early youth were like Sherlock Holmes, uh, James Bond, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Mannix, uh, which is a private detective, Peter Gunn, another private detective. And then I had some Western characters uh, like Roy Rogers. But of course, the Western characters, the Western heroes for me. And I didn't understand why at the time it began to formulate, you know, as I got closer to 18, was the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Uh, yeah, yeah, all of these men, yeah, that's right, all of these men did heroic things or had a code by which they went forth and did battle with the things that regular people could not handle. Or they did deductive reasoning to solve, you know, phenomenal crimes or minimal crimes but to make things right, but to make things right. And for the Lone Ranger and Tonto, you know, in the way the TV series was done, been the first two movies with the same actors, uh, Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheel, the thing that I got out of that was I love seeing them together. Uh, a lot of the times that people would say, oh, you know, I want to thank that masked man. Well, gee, the Indian helped too, but okay. You know, oh, he's the Lone Ranger and the guy riding next to him. Oh, I don't know his name. You know, it was, it was, there were episodes where you saw them work together to solve the problem, but then you heard people at the end of the show thanking the Lone Ranger. But again, consciously in my head, it was, well, yeah, it's the Lone Ranger, it's his show, but it's Tano, it's the Lone Ranger, Tano, Tano helped him. And so that was, that was cool for me. And then as I got older, and again, the civil rights movement was happening and everything, I began to realize that this was the first real solid team of, of two men of different races and cultures working together as a team and, and in their minds as equals. You know, the show wasn't saying they're absolute equals. Um, Cheerios, you know, General Mills wanted me to buy the cereal and, and, and whatever else. Keds wanted me to buy the sneakers and all that stuff. But to me, these guys, they had each other's back. You take on one, you mm-hmm. take on both. You know, you will not you will not harm my friend unless you take us both down. And it was it was and it was it was powerful. It, it was on a it was on a more even feel, even footing, even than like Green Hat, a Green Green uh, Arrow. Oh, you mean the Green Kato. Hornet and Cato? And, and yeah, that, yeah, that wasn't as even as uh, Long Ranger. And no, and then when you see the movies, the two movies that those two actors did, because I don't respond well to the others uh, <laughs> at all. But when you see those two movies, there's some meaningful moments in both films. And when you think, geez, it was done by Warner Brothers back in the the 60s, late early 60s or something like that. You go, okay, that was what society allowed. And then they pushed the envelope just a tad. Um, I didn't have that kind of influence until Kelly Robinson and Alexander Scott, which is I Spy, Mm -hmm. you know, Open Cosby. And, you know... Again, here's here's again the way the show was trying to do it is one thing, but the way these two performed on film, the way they interacted, and eventually some of the scripts that Robert Culp wrote and directed that were stories that that highlighted or spotlighted Bill Cosby's character. Then now we're starting to see more heroic black men. So what mm-hmm. happened for me was all of the, the heroes of the past, the, the old serials I used to watch with Spy Smasher and Mass Marvel and all that, you know, I saw them on television. The, the, the characters like James Bond, Sherlock Holmes, I amalgamated those guys and those qualities into 
the kid in me who wanted to be heroic figure too, who wanted to go on cool adventures and see the world and stop bad guys and, and save people's lives and make things right. And that percolated or simmered in me for a long time. Um, being raised by a single parent, you know, there were things I, I knew that were that had been done or stuff that had happened in, in, in my, my mom's life and stuff that I wished I could have fixed or I wish I could have, you know, become a great doctor and made her healthier because she fought a lot of illnesses. But right. in my imagination, I could, I could be these guys or I could be a character who could do the right thing uh, with my nod to Spike Lee. So I would say that it was predominantly fictional characters that really influenced me a great deal. And then by the time, you know, the, the late 60s, early 70s were really in play, um, I'd become through the civil rights movement, through education, through a number of other exposures, become aware of, you know, the, the black soldiers who, who flew in World War II in the end, and, you know, the, which unfortunately the movie Red Tails didn't do justice to. Um, or, you know, the explorers like Matthew and, 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 and the, the, um, the scientists and, and the doctors, that, that knowledge that hadn't been given to me in my earlier years was now available to me in my late teens. And so, again, they percolated until years later. Uh, I... Alex. Uh, yes, we're, we're back again. Yes, yes, we are. So okay. I wanted to ask you a question about... Okay, now, where did, I, where did we cut off? You were talking about all these influences that uh, you kind of took in as a child and that they were percolating as a teen. Um, and then they're, you're about to talk about how they coalesced. And I was hoping that you would add in, you know, talk about the coalesce, sure. But also I want to find out how your experience with Don McGregor and Detectives Incorporated, both on page and in film, infamous, um, <laughs> may have influenced you as well. Um, for those of you who don't know Don McGregor, Don McGregor is uh, a damn good friend of mine, uh, has been since, oh God, um, some 42 years, I guess. Um, McGregor and I met at a Comic-Con in New York City decades ago, literally, um, and became buddies. He lived in Rhode Island at the time, and we communicated back and forth on the phone and stuff like that. And then eventually, um, about a year later, a little before, almost a year later, uh, because I was drawing then. I was, you know, I was in high school and I was anticipating a, a career as an illustrator. Um, I went up there to work with him to illustrate the first copy of a comic book uh, series that he was creating independently before it was popular uh, called Detectives Incorporated. And so I, I have the, the honor of being the first person to illustrate that series. Eventually it was done independently by Eclipse and, and some others and uh, has built its own reputation and Don has a reputation too, but we won't talk about that. No, Don is, Don is a little... Don is a young rebel. He eventually moved to New York and he worked for Marvel and he did a number of other things. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking quickly because I know how this, this timer thing works. But um, Don, Don and I both loved I Spy. And so there was a, a little bit of the, the uh, Culp and Cosby shtick that went on between us. And 
aside from enjoying that and working on Detectors Inc., we had done a couple of eight millimeter movies um, as fictional detective characters, you know, roaming the sands and plains of Rhode Island, uh, solving crime and, and terrorizing the neighborhoods. And that camaraderie definitely uh, affected again, or, or even I would say underscored the influences of some of the characters I mentioned earlier, the fictional characters. And then Don, once he moved to New York, he uh, went to work for Marvel, as I said, and over a period of time, eventually had the opportunity to write the first, if I recall, the first maxi series, at least 12 issues um, of the Black Panther in Jungle Action, which was a, a comic book that Marvel was publishing at that time. So I helped him with some of the drawings of the map, the editorial material. I did not work on this series. The series was drawn by Billy Graham and Rich Buckler. But I got to help him with that. And once again, you know, it, you're, you're behind the scenes as well as you're enjoying the creative process. And the behind the scenes showed me both the liberal sides of the creative entertainment industry as well as the somewhat uh, narrow-minded and restrictive side. And so I would say once again, you know, seeing the Black Panther come to life on in a comic book page and then eventually Luke Cage and some of the other stories that Don did and, and the things where I might have helped him or worked with him or just enjoyed his read um, made me feel even stronger about creating heroic African-American characters who represented at that time, A, the hero image, but then again, as I got older, also began to represent or reflect something of the real life heroes and adventurers that we were not ever being made aware of. And I thought, so how did you bridge that gap? How did all those elements become blackjack? I, I think you, know, well, you, 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 you sort of filter it through yourself, or at least that's what I did. Um, I looked at my beliefs, my philosophies, the experiences I've had, you know, I don't mean, you know, traveling the world and doing such and such. By that time, I had not done a lot of globetrotting. But I knew people from a lot of different countries. And I knew what I believed and what I felt at that time about race and culture and representation and respect and all of those things. And I think you, you've, you run that through your own filter. You take the elements of the heroic characters, fictional or real life, that you have been influenced by. And you begin to form a fictional character that reflects those values or faces those trials and tribulations that you know exist or existed that others might not have been so successful with. Um, I put Aaron through certain situations that I know I would have completely fallen on my face and or died trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, I gave him two parents. Um, my father wasn't in my life, but I made sure that Aaron was influenced by his father. And, and, you know, good or bad, that influence was there. Um, I pulled from my grandmother's life the fact that she was very religious. And I gave that to Aaron's mother. I did not have any siblings, but I gave him a sister. And I wanted very much his sister to be older and just as daring as he is, but with a certain sensibility that he didn't have. There's a recklessness about Aaron in his youth, uh, a defiance. Uh, he, it's almost like he has to prove himself every single time, which a lot of black men do feel. 
you know, or that other people looking at blacks feel, you, you know, I don't know that you're worth this or you're worth that because of the color of your skin. So Aaron was always ready to, you know, to, to duke it out. Even, even when the odds were against him, I talked my way out of a lot of situations. <laughs> I did not start swinging. Um, whereas his sister, Mary, she'll try and talk her way out of it. But if, if it comes to blows or if you attack her brother, she's right there. And I, I had a routine where Aaron, Aaron's mother said, your sister fights smarter than you do. Because Aaron would come back and he's got cuts and bruises and the clothes torn. Because he just kept wailing and people would pound on him. Whereas Mary was strategic. She was not about getting smacked around. You know, if she could take you down quickly, she would. And, and so there's a, the dynamics in between those two. It was very much about family. It was very much about a strong woman in his life. His mother was strong. His sister was strong. And those two figures were there to help keep him level. So, Alex Simmons, so talk to yes. us about your, uh, how having a strong mother and a strong sister helped Blackjack. Well, yeah, um, in my, again, in my childhood uh, and being raised by a single mother, I was made aware of, um, by our surroundings, that, that some men really, let's just say, didn't have respect for the women in their lives, um, either the women they were dating, the women they were married to, or even in some cases, their, their own daughters, uh, the way they talked to them, the way they, they disrespected them was, was foul. And... I knew, A, my mom's and my grandmother wouldn't have put up with that <laughs> because, A, they hadn't. They had, they had shown uh, certain gentlemen in their lives, no, we don't play that. Uh, and also, they had made sure that I was coming up, growing up, realizing, no, we will not tolerate that from you either. So I think that Aaron, you know, because to become a... a a globe-trotting mercenary or soldier of fortune, the kind of people you're going to spend your time with will vary, but a good deal of them are guys, people who are sort of lost. They're out or, there. Or broken. Yeah, or broken, shattered, fragmented, damaged. You know, they're out there. Basically, their day-to-day -day existence is kill or be killed, uh, exists for the moment. You know, many had no contact, no connection. So... This is, this is who Aaron was going to surround himself with. And I felt he needed to be grounded. He needed to be connected somehow to, to, to something strong and powerful that says, there's certain lines I will not cross. And his mother, there's certain things I won't say about the storyline in terms of his parents, but his mother was one of those, those anchors. He, he, he recalls in his adult life, many things that she says or done and things that she challenged him on. Uh, and the same thing for his sister. His sister is, is his family. She, she not only is somebody, even though she's older than him by uh, a year, he always feels like he has to protect her, which is, again, not necessarily the case because Mary can, she can, you know, take, do some damage when she has to. But he's got a very strong connection to her. And right. so there are things that he will not do out there in the world because that memory, that, that connection is still there and it's deeply rooted in him. Yes. It, it, it forms part of his moral core. Yes. Let me ask you, um, who's, who's Mary based on? How did, how did you get this sister? Yeah, I don't know that I based her on any one person because I don't have that recollection. As a matter of fact, Okay, I she's, feel... not, she's not as 
outlandish as Pat Savage. She's a completely different person. Oh, oh yeah, no. You, there are women in in again in my youth. There there were women who were strong, focused individuals who had certain you know not only a moral code or ethical code, but there were just certain things they wouldn't they wouldn't do. Right. You know, there was certain nonsense they wouldn't put up with. And so Mary is more a dash of this and a pinch of that than any one single influence I can recall. Uh, I'm sure some of my mother is in his mother, but I think some of my mother is also in Mary. I think, you know, there were stories my grandmother and my mother told me about their lives when they were young and they lived in North Carolina. So they, they got to run around in the countryside a bit. Right. And, and I'm sure some of that is in there. But I think key is the fact that I wanted Aaron to have a sister who was not a damsel in distress, right. who had her own purpose and, and goals in life. And that, as she put it to him, we're always family. But, you know, remember, if I have to, I will, I will smack you silly. You know, it was that kind of thing. Sure. Whereas we're forever. And you're, you have a, yeah. you're, you're, you're covered in the woman warrior area. With one, oh, yeah. one of oh, uh, yeah. um, Black Jack's, um, how would you say, uh, uh, colleagues or one of his team, she uh, has she has fought by his side uh, from childhood whenever the occasion called for. Yeah. But she does not globe trot. Right, like right. That. But um, the other character is um, Mar- oh, Miriam, Miriam, right. So it's very interesting. Right, it's very interesting that you have Mary and Miriam, and they're they're two very different sides. You know, Mary is um, uh, a closer um, connection to Aaron and Miriam, closer connection to the Blackjack side of that persona. Exactly. And and both of them have their approach to danger and life. And I, I want it because, you know, just like Blacks or, or Chinese or anybody is not one type, I didn't want one type of woman in sure, the story. Of yeah. You know, um, I wanted to represent as much of the that experience as possible. And you know, there are more women that enter his life as he goes. There's um, there's a woman who runs a nightclub right. that he has a part of in, in New York City. That's, so that's you almost know, romantic right there. That yeah, yeah, yeah. She brings made, out a different well, element. But even still, she runs a nightclub. She has a business. She deals with you know, Harlem's, you know, uh, agents. drags as well as the elite. And, and then, you know, some of the gangland mob yeah. people come to this club. It's like, yeah. cotton, it's like the cotton club. So has, all of the women, agency. yeah, all the women in the series have their strengths. They're, yeah. they're, you know, and, and that was, that was, and again, if you think about it, this is 25 years of the series. So right. it's not like I'm suddenly influenced by Wonder Woman. You know, or, no. or you know, some of those things. You know, this is it, uh, a well-established world. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to add one last thing. Then I think maybe please do because they're going to cut this off again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been well, really the only other writer who you've allowed to handle blackjack, as far as I know. Um, and when I write the character, when uh, uh, they where where they come from, Aaron Day is um you know it is very different than blackjack and whenever 
I'm writing and he's at peace. I refer to him as Aaron. And I find that whenever there's danger anywhere, almost like a spider sense, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the reference becomes blackjack, which is very interesting. Um, but who I see as um, uh, uh, the character when I'm writing him is blackjack because I experienced him first as, as a reader and as your friend, you know? So my influence is the actual material that came before. I oh, can God. see, wow. yeah, I can see there's a, a Captain America element in that he has a will, a, a belief, a vision of how things should be and pursues that. But when I'm writing Aaron, I'm, it's drawing upon everything that you wrote as Aaron. And then when I'm writing Blackjack, it's as Blackjack. And I'm writing that hero. I'm not, of course, you know, being uh, uh, one of the pale uh, persuasion. I don't have the, you know, the uh, uh, experience as an African-American soldier of fortune or no. Um, so it comes entirely uh, from what I learned actually reading your stuff. And I, I was, thought you would uh, get a kick out of hearing. I, I not only do, and I'm surprised that it hasn't interrupted us again, but I'm, I not only do, but it, um, I will say that uh, I have my own sort of um, hurdle that I deal with when I'm writing the character. And there are times when I, in writing the story, do not refer to him or think of him as Blackjack or use the word Blackjack. When he is Aaron, he's Aaron. Uh, because mm -hmm. the, the blackjack persona is is his battle suit, if you will, you yeah. know. And and I'm very clear in my own mind about that, as as Aaron is clear in his mind that there, mm -hmm. he's not that man when he's on the streets of New York or when he's not in the middle of of, of battle. He does not act right. that way, and it's 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 kind of cool. It's 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 you know again, it's a distinction that I'm sure is influenced by, you know, some of the things I've seen, but also just um, decisions that I've made as a writer. And I, I, I imagine this, I always believe Blackjack would be a great thing to see on the big screen or, you know, in, in a visual medium. And I, I yearn for the moment where a gifted actor who is playing a scene as Aaron Day, just with a slight turn of the head or hardening of the eyes, you know, communicates to the audience, oh, he's Blackjack. Mm. 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 You know? Um, he doesn't need uh, the armor to come on or the Black Panther helmet to come over him or turn green. <laughs> it's this... It's right. It's this really subtle thing. I saw it once on on screen. Um, Christopher Walken was playing with uh, in a movie with Sean Penn. It was called At Close Range, mm. and and Christopher Walken was like the local bad guy. He was bad news, and Sean Penn says something to him, and he looks and just tilts his head a little bit and goes, "Huh," and you know. That's it for Sean Penn and his girlfriend. Things are, you know, and it's, it was, he, 
it was such a casual move, but it you knew exactly that that the the story had kicked into another. Mm-hmm. And I and I see that when I'm writing, I see Aaron do it. I see when uh, Aaron trans uh, transfers or transposes or transforms into Blackjack. And uh, he doesn't become raging. That's mad. Uh, but it's this controlled warrior. I, I think and, I think it's uh, necessary because, you know, again, it's that fine line. He's in a very dangerous world. He, you know, mm-hmm. he's to be the best that he can be. He has to allow himself to, to, to do certain things. Um, I've never taken a human life and, and would like to you know, spend the rest of my life on this planet never having that experience. But to know that not only that that he can do it, but that he will do it in certain situations, or to put himself in between someone and and an onslaught of possible you know horrific death on an ongoing basis, on a continuing basis, to say that I will put my life in front of yours against all comers, that's that's intense, and you do have to be able to throw a switch and be ready, right. you know, instantly, and that's different. That defines this particular hero, and it defines how uh, we both tell the damn story of Aaron Day slash Blackjack. And we'll continue Um, to do so. Yes, uh, go ahead. Yeah, we're we're hoping that um, writers and storytellers hear this particular episode and know to feed your muse, to take in material from all levels, whether it be comic books or history books movies or operas and let it digest in through your uh, brain and soul into your pen hand and create your own story. Tell your own damn story. Yeah, Let us know what you think of all this too, by the way, because we are actually getting ready to say goodbye. Uh, you know, give us a, give us a holler. Um, you can, you can certainly reach us through the, this uh, anchor um, through these broadcasts right now, or you can uh, email us, uh, Chris, uh, Ryan Tupop at Gmail. That's Ryan or, uh, number two P O P at Gmail. Yep. Or you can uh, you can uh, comment directly. We'll place this in a, def- a bunch of different places, and we look forward to your comments as well. Right, absolutely. And tell the damn story is on Facebook. Okay, so you can go yep. there and comment, and uh, also look for more of these episodes there as well. And mine is um, is uh, Alex at Simmons Here and Now dot com. That's Alex at SimmonsHereAndNow.com. Although I have a blackjack one too, but you know what? We're, we're not going to roll all those out. But anyway, one thing at a time. Yeah, right. So, like I said, reach out, let us know what you think, and thanks for listening. Adios. Thank you very much. See you soon. So, Alex Simmons, I have a question for you. <laughs> of course you do, because it cut off again, and here we are. So, okay. how did the film exploits? Um, Casablanca and Rashomon mix with the tokenism of uh, the Bowery Boys and the Little Rascals and coalesce, there's that word again, mm-hmm. into Aaron Day, Black Jack, International Soldier of Fortune. Well, again, it, the, the Bowery Boys and, and the Little Rascals were all the earlier parts of my life. And, and as I said before in another episode, when the civil rights movement started and certain other things began to sort of awaken 
the awareness of, of, of blacks or African-Americans and their roles or actual roles in, in the history of mankind, um, you started to get different films. You started to get a different sort of uh, serving of, of blacks in films. And so, you know, we eventually wound up with uh, Trouble Man with Robert Hooks, or we wound up with uh, uh, Richard Roundtree and Shaft and a number of other uh, black action heroes, uh, uh, Jim Brown and 100 Rifles. And then, then you would have um, Taj Mahal in Sounder. Uh, and and uh, Cicely Tyson in several you know poignant movies where you would see blacks living a, a normal life, or you would see them in these extraordinary uh, situations, as well as yes, you would see uh, films about slavery or episodes in TV series about slavery. So I was being exposed now to stronger black characters and all that, but again, you know. All the stuff that I had watched, you know, as you said, Rashomon and the British films, *A Bicycle Thief* and and from Russia with Love, all of those things whirling around in my head, and then seeing these other images, as I said, of Robert Hooks and so forth. What what you eventually wind up with is a desire to create a character who embodies or experiences the adventures and the travel and the intrigue that so titillated me uh, in my younger years but was, I was subtly being told that's not for you. So creating Aaron enabled me to do that. But at the same time, you know, I was very much about him not being a one or two dimensional character. I wanted him to be a black man in this world who did not have it all together. You know, it's not suddenly he's this, this superhero who's got it all figured out. So, you know, for instance, there's, um, you were talking about the supernatural aspects of Gunner and, and uh, uh, the City of Sin and Woe uh, series. And there's a Blackjack story uh, called Buried Secrets, where he, um, I mean, it's, it's a book called Buried Secrets, and in it there's, a, um, there's one of the stories where he's brought to Scotland by a lair to protect the, what's left of the family from werewolves. Uh, three of them have already been slaughtered, you know, brutally. And it's, uh, Aaron is forced to look at well, wait a minute, you know, I've bodyguarded against, you know, assassins and uh, um, rebels and, and, and uh, all kinds of things. But now you're telling me that the supernatural exists and, and it forces Aaron to, to really think about, you know, his mother was very religious. His father wasn't. And he, Aaron, had never been felt, he'd never felt or been forced to decide, what do you believe? What do you believe in? You know, and, and and now he's in a situation where he may possibly be going up against something that's totally beyond his, his skill or his ability, his power to deal with. And it could destroy him in, in, in ways that he doesn't even want to think about. So within the story, within the action, the adventure, there's also these questions that the, the person, the human being, the man has to answer um, in order to move forward and possibly succeed at the mission that he's taken on. And I do that, you know, I try and keep those kind of developing character questions in my stories, uh, because I think otherwise you wind up with very much a stereotype, not yeah. necessarily racial one, but you wind up with a stereotypical male or female. And uh, that, you know, in my real life, that wasn't what I was about and not what I was taught and not and didn't wasn't what the people I loved or respected were about. So right. subsequently, I want to make sure that the characters I create, if someone is that way, that it's a part of the story and not that I can only write that kind of stereotypical garbage. Right. Well, and, and since you mentioned Mallory and Gunner in 
the, the the kind of the prequel to the novels, City of Sin, is a bunch of short stories in which they kind of deal with uh, Monster of the Week, mm. <laughs> and and I used it to modernize each one of those old stories. You know, Werewolf becomes you know uh, a very explainable modern thing. It's not so much uh, a werewolf as something else. Um, Wait, wait, what's what's the book? What's the anthology that has all these stories in it? City of Sin. City of Sin has has this collection, Monster of the Week. That you're, you you yeah, yeah, that's really what it is. It's this this guy's is a bunch of short cop uh, thrillers, but they're all Monster of the Week. Each every, each, every <laughs> one of them, um, and, and it really is, it really is. And my idea was to to use them as exercises to develop the aspects of Mallory and Gunner that sep- separate them you know, uh, apart from the rest of the NYPD. And it, it it's Gunner's loyalty to Ma- uh, Mallory. He will follow him anywhere. And Mallory's belief that you, you don't say no to any of the possibilities. You know, it's that, mm-hmm. it's that Sherlock Holmes uh, phrase, you know, when you... Um, Have eliminated uh, all... What's it? When you eliminate all other possibilities, whatever's whatever left, however unlikely, yeah. is you know is the answer. So he goes places where people would just write it off as you know an unclosed case or open case and that kind of stuff. He continues, and that's how he gets. You know, they kind of get a, a reputation where they're teased a little bit, and they're called you know Mulder and Scully and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is also, you know. Not that they have superpowers, but it's what separates them. And that's the same thing that I see when I read uh, Blackjack. And now when I write Blackjack is that he will continue on uh, with the belief that, you know, uh, he can get to the answer that is the most just. Right. You know, it's funny. You said two things. Um, One, he will continue on. McGregor talked, uh, my friend Don McGregor. Uh, who's also a writer and worked on the Black Panther, the, the book series, and and uh, Rage. Uh, and a number of other things over the years, including his own detective series called Detectives Incorporated. Um, but Don talks about one of the things he loved about James Bond is, you know, the villains in the books, you know, forget the movies for a moment, in the books, never got it that if you just shoot the man, kill him, you got a chance. Because otherwise, whatever you do to him, he keeps coming. Right. keeps coming back he, he doesn't stop and i think that's one of the the characteristics i liked about about aaron in my head was that especially if he gives his word um he's going to keep coming um my my grandfather when i was a, a teenager when i was like maybe 15 16 he you know when i was very young he had owned his own diner in lower manhattan and i thought it was very cool but then he eventually lost it and so years later, when I'm a teenager, uh, he's a janitor at a place in uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And sometimes I would go in and help him clean it uh, to make a few bucks, you know, and I watched him work so hard on this thing. And I said to him one time, I said, you know, Grandpa, why do you, why do you work so hard? This is not your place. You know, what does it matter? And he said, I gave my word. And at the time mm-hmm. I went, yeah, but, you know, man, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. Right. I eventually got it. He, he, mm-hmm. he told them he would do 100%, and he was not going to do 98 right. It was okay. And I felt... Now, you mentioned, since you mentioned janitor, uh, I want to redirect 
because you also mentioned Walter Mosley, or I had, and said you wanted to talk about Walter Mosley. And Walter Mosley is one of his uh, most famous characters, is Easy Rollins, mm-hmm. who starts as a janitor, but he's oh so much more. Yeah. Um, how how has he been? How did he? How does Walter Mosley's work? Uh, well, I, I, this may not be an, uh, as analytical a, a dissection of Walter Mosley's work as you might hope, but here's, you know, <laughs> of, oh, yes, of the Mosley pieces that I've written, I've read, rather, I haven't written any of them, of the ones that I have read, um, I think the thing that Easy Rollins represents to me is it connects to my love of certain Hitchcock films, because Hitchcock mm-hmm. had a, uh, a love of, or, or maybe it was simply a device to him. But he usually took the average person, in his case was the average man, and put him into an extraordinary situation. And I think that's what Mosley did with Easy, because you know, Easy ha- Easy is a capable man, but he's a he's a regular guy, and he, as you said, he starts out as a janitor. And if you see the film, it's a different scenario. But the bottom line is, he's at he's at the lower end of the of the ladder. The, the lowest right. end of the rung, and through a series of extraordinary circumstances, he elevates himself to another position. And he, at least I feel, that there's nothing about Easy's character that says, "Oh yeah, I grew up tough and everything. I can take on anything and anybody." I think Easy, like, um, oh god, what was it? What was it? There was a there was a black TV series. Uh, uh, back in the 80s during the Colombo period, Tenafly, yes, uh, uh-huh. where he was a private detective, black private detective, and it was like, I don't want to get beaten up. I don't want to get shot. I don't want it, to, it's like even Rockford. I, I have no desire to get brutalized here, but I will take on this this job. I, I may not do well against these guys, but I have to try. And I like that about, easy i like that he 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 felt at times he was in way over his head but i gotta figure most yeah i gotta figure <laughs> i gotta figure something out i i, I got it yeah. maybe maybe if i get out of this situation here then i can get around to and and he so he kept coming it wasn't the bulldog kind of kept coming it was like no. it was that oh god I, I gotta keep going forward damn you know and that's that's appealing so i like i like when you take a character who's flawed, it doesn't mean he has to be, you know, he's a drunk and everything. Although I have a couple of those in, in the Blackjack stories too. Um, but I like when he has, he's not as sure-footed in every situation. He's, he's in over his head at times. As you put it, sometimes he's a, he's a fish out of water. You know, this is where I normally function. And, and some people, um, like we've created a couple of characters in Blackjack's life that really are just not, the folks he normally hangs around with, you know, <laughs> you know uh, I've got uh, Timothy O'Connor, the, the the reporter that you've got. Uh, Cahill Ferguson. Yep, yep. And both of them, yes, both Irish, because, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, All that. But Cahill's way up there in the age. Yeah, well, Cahill knew Aaron's <laughs> father. And I like how you, you sort of created someone who had some connection to Aaron's past when Aaron was a boy, someone who could, a, a child, someone who could look at Aaron, the full-grown, powerful warrior figure that he is in a given situation. Alex Simmons. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, yes. So Alex wrap that off again. What was I saying? <laughs> you, were, you were talking about um, um, Walter Mosley and um, 
how uh, you know you are were attracted characters that you know are not in flawed, control yes. of the situation. Yes, yeah, and, and matter even my favorite and people are gonna find this strange. My favorite Wesley Snipes movie is not uh, Blade, any of the Blade trilogy or um, uh, some of the earlier works that he did, although he did, you know, I think some of the early, early stuff he did, um, like Jungle Fever is mm-hmm. to watch him. But it's um, The Art of War. And, you know, he's, a, he's an action hero in that and all that kind of stuff. But he is not in control of the situation. Uh, he's being manipulated. Uh, he's off balance several times in the film. And he's playing the strong, okay, I'm going to keep moving forward and keep these guys out. But he keeps tripping. And, and I like that. You know, I, I found that, in, as far as his action adventure stuff, I found that one of the more satisfying experiences with him. Right. Um, yeah. And you were also, you were talking about, just to mention quickly, some books. Uh, you were talking about, you know, reading Mosley. Uh, I enjoy reading Lawrence Saunders, mm-hmm. some of his stuff, like the... Like the um, uh, Ten Commandments, which is a, a, a story with a short character about five foot four inches tall, and he starts out as this little nebbish working in the mailroom of a law firm, and eventually becomes their independent investigator over a period of two years. He trains and everything, and he gets into this case that's really involved, and he's not sure-footed, and he's not sh- tough, and he doesn't know martial arts. He doesn't any. He's got to figure out how to get through so many hurdles right he keeps going and and those are the you know he he admits when he's out of his his element but he looks for help or he looks for the the other angle i like stories where the characters don't have it all together um or where there's a flaw or where they're confused they're lost well i agree with you and i also want to um and i'm going to go back to mosley to make this point but one of the other things i like is when there's a um almost a meta commentary or subliminal commentary going on while the action is happening. You know, one of the things about the Easy Rollins series um, is that, sure, it's, you know, a mystery, uh, action mystery type uh, series. But it's also because, you know, Walt Mosley does what he does. It's also... And well. And does it extraordinarily well. It's also a... um, kind of an oral history or a fictional history of the evolution of uh, blacks in America over mm. World War II. And I think now he's he's up to like the late 60s or the early 70s. You know, so um, August Wilson did something like that with his 10 plays. Um, but Mosley is doing this in, in, in ways that I think will come back around and be studied. And here's the tie that I see to, to Blackjack. Um, Blackjack is an action-adventure series, you know? But underneath, it's about the idea of a strong African-American representing what is being denied him or denied the entire race um, in a time when there was no concept of value for African-Americans. And here is a guy who is, uh, you know, one of the things, it's it's tied in again also to the Black Panther movie. One of the reasons why so many people are uh, so thrilled with that is because, you know, finally there's a what if, 
You know, now, mm. now Jack created or first asked that what if in 1966 and then um, Don and then uh, Christopher Priest and kept expanding on the what if. But what if there was, um, you know, the extension of history, right? The first man is is believed to have come from Africa. OK, if we expand on that and develop that, there would be a um, uh, an highly advanced uh, um, African civilization, nation, right? Yeah. And this is, you know, it, one of the funny things is that there are so many people searching travel plans to Wakanda these days, which I think is really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, and I understand because if there was a chance, I would go there as well. Disney, if you're listening, you have another park. <laughs> um, <laughs> true story, right? But yep. But just like that's a commentary on. You know, in in our hearts, we all believe, uh, unless we're you know instilled with racism, that there is that potential. You know, and we see it in Mosley's showing the kind of history of uh, racism and overcoming it, and we see Black Panther as the answer to that. No, here's the greatness celebrated, both um, tribal roots and the most advanced technology merging together. This is the way the world should be. That's such a positive message. And in Blackjack, we see in every country he goes to, in every situation he goes to, here is a rational man with skills and the right morals who is getting handling whatever that situation is and being a leader of humans in every situation he arrives at. Um, not a, he doesn't do it because he's an African-American or because he's a soldier of fortune. It's innate in who he is. He is the sum total of all the experiences he has had so far and he is using those experiences to the best possible way he can. And that should be the goal of every human. That's how you tell this damn story. Sounds good to me. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we will leave this, uh, this particular episode. Um, again, you know, as we always say, or at least we're trying to be consistent about, you know, let us know what you think. You know, please, please, please. Uh, those who listen through, through Anchor's various connections, you can... You can leave uh, a post for us or send us a message or record one. Right on the comments, um, do any of that. You, yeah, right. You can go to our Facebook page, Tell the Damn Story on Facebook, and leave comments, questions, and so forth. Join it, you know, so and have dialogues about the creative process. Or you can email us. Uh, Chris, you're at? I'm at uh, RyanTupop at Gmail right now. We're going to improve that's that. That's Ryan, R-Y-A-N, the number two, and then P as in Peter, P-O-P. Right. So it's RyanTupop at Gmail. And you can find me and you can find me on social media uh, at Chris Ryan Writes, whether it's Instagram yes, or does. Twitter or any of that stuff. Chris Ryan Writes, yes. And then I'm Alex Simmons, and it's Alex at Simmons here and now. It's all spelled out. SimmonsHereAndNow.com. All right. So once again, thank you for joining us. And please come back again. Take care. And until then, continue to tell the damn story. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.